I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theatre Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, Milwaukee-based theater writer and dramaturg. I'm Jen Uphoff-Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theatre Company. And this is Theatre Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theater from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theater in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to Lucky Episode 13 of Theater Forward. (laughs) Now, this episode is about a topic that we are all particularly passionate and worried about, and that is the state of theatrical criticism in America right now. Um, Mike, you have spent years as a professional theater critic, and so I think we're going to have to start this conversation off with you and what your experience has been like. Well, I just love that this is episode number 13, because that says everything about the state of criticism. (laughs) In America right now. Yeah. I mean, I reviewed for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel for 15 years and was their chief drama critic for nine years. And I resigned last summer um, in ways my editor completely understood this wasn't his fault because they said, look, we're not being able to cover the number of theaters we used to be able to cover. I'm being asked to uh, cover those that I am still uh, reviewing in, in fewer words. And it got to the point where it actually felt disrespectful uh, to the theater companies um, that that I was covering because I wasn't able to do justice to to the show and that my plight is not uh, is not unique. I mean, you can count on your two hands now the number of full time theater critics uh, in the United States, uh, and so you have lots of people uh, who uh, are are not being replaced when they when they leave. I mean, cities like Miami and Denver and Atlanta don't have full-time theater critics. There is not one full-time theater critic where theater is their dedicated post in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, you know, and I just I, I worry about this and I also worry about what is left in terms of why people write and what they're sort of being pushed to write, because everything now is being measured by click counts. Um, and so when you write a review that is measured or reasoned or nuanced or mixed uh, or a negative review, it's obviously not going to get the same number of click counts. And it's pushing not just in this state, but definitely here uh, and around the country, uh, an amen chorus, adjective and adverb rich, uh, you know, pull quote kind of review, which doesn't really do justice to what's being what's being done and, and puts readers in a position where they don't trust and therefore don't read what's being written. And then you're in a vicious cycle. It's 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 truly heartbreaking when you think about um the the disappearance of professional theater criticism in this country for those of us in the industry you know it's it's common to think of of artists and critics as enemies and that's really i think not how most of us see it and and for those who did i think the disappearance of of professional right. critics has has opened the eyes of many in our industry to how important they are to our industry and to the to the to our livelihoods. Um, there are, there are lots of of valid and important criticisms about. Um, the critics that we do have, you know, overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly male, overwhelmingly older. There's no question that that sort of inherent um, bias or perspective um, limits uh, what is being achieved in terms of theater criticism. But what's what's happening is that we are finding ourselves in a world where there are almost no um, educated theater critics, and I don't mean educated in terms of what your degree is or, um, you know, your background. It's it's that 
I, I want critics reviewing our shows who have seen a lot of theater. I want critics reviewing our shows who know what a sound designer does, who know what a director's job is, who know um, what lighting designers do so that the reviews, you know, accurately depict someone's opinion. Yes, but someone's in, informed opinion. And, and I, I'm just seeing less and less and less of that. Not just, not, I'm not talking specifically about the reviewers of our productions, but the reviews I read of productions all across the country. It's, it's disappearing. Not, just not, not having reviewers and, and not educating reviewers, you know, as they go through school and things. It, I mean, this all comes down to people are not reading newspapers and that's where, I mean, that's what happened with the journal Sentinel. Yes. It had nothing to do with your reviews. It had to do with, with, um, Readership. The, yeah, the the dearth of newspapers in this in this country. And uh, one thing you said, Jen, that I um, I completely agree is that prior to us losing all of these critics, um, there was this view that it was an adversarial relationship between artists and critics. And what we realize now is this is our historical record. Yeah. And without an historical record, I mean, we we already have an ephemeral. Uh, um, business. Uh, this is a business that comes and goes. And we needed what a professional said about it to to, Do- document, uh, it. to, to document it, to to show that it exists. And without that, um, it goes away even further. A bunch of Instagram and, posts exactly. aren't going to cut it for right. a historical record. Yeah. Uh, so other I mean, places are, are um, looking at this and and have some unique ways of uh, addressing this, um, you know, the critic shortage. But I don't know if that's actually the way to go. I look at uh, like Renaissance Theater Works is having the uh, Fran Bauer Young Critics Project, and that's getting young girls to learn about how to do theater criticism. I don't I, I would like to think one or two of them say this is an occupation for me. But I'm I'm concerned about what that actually well, looks and like even in if, the future. Yeah, and if they say this is an occupation for me, who's ha- going to hire them? That's exactly if right. If the newspapers are going away, you know, right. what's the new model for this to be a way to make a living? Mm-hmm. We don't know yet. Yeah, I mean, and the only thing I'm seeing that's, you know, remotely positive, I'm sorry, I don't mean to damn by faint praise, but I do have skepticism about this, is models like you've seen spring up in Miami uh, or in Denver or Dallas. Um, and now um, uh, where you have uh, the theater companies and the arts organizations contributing to a blog with a funded position. Right. Um, but the problem is there is huge conflicts of interest with yeah. that. And, and the thought is that if you have enough companies investing in that model, um, then then maybe the risk is spread and the money is spread so widely that it frees the critic from being able to uh, worry about this. But I mean, I'm old fashioned this way. I come from one of the only newspapers that was left in the Midwest that would not even accept the two traditional comp tickets um, that were given out to most critics. And I and I am completely on board with that. I'm troubled with the conflicts of interest that are raised even by by, by that. And I think if a critic is not paying her own way, um, you know, through her organization, that, then you're not going to be able to get a truly independent um, voice. And, you know, maybe we're going to have to compromise on that. But that's uh, that, that that's where I am. You also have and this is potentially promising 
uh, you know, organizations like Rescripted, uh, the Regina Victor-led organization out of Chicago. And what they've done is they have, they're very upfront about this. They said, we want to have artists reviewing artists. Um, and we are going to have the biases that comes with that. Um, but we're going to try and bring in people who are younger. We're going to try and bring in people from um, different perspectives. Um, and we're, we're going to not be afraid to be critical. And they have had some critical reviews um, in their, you know, in what they have written. And I, and I think, you know, the reviewers are uneven. I mean, some of them I really like, some I don't, but it's at least, and it's a blog, it's not, you know, and I don't know what their readership is like, but it's at least giving us a conversation um, in a city which, you know, now only really has one full-time credit. Are these people educated in theater criticism? What is what's, what's their background? Um, so, some of them are. Some of them have gone through a sort of uh, a critics boot camp that they that they have, which I think maybe Julie is a little bit like the program you were talking about mm-hmm. at Renaissance, which is, you know, I, I taught in. Right. Um, look, they're, they're not I mean, I they're not by and large as informed as the mainstream critics. And we shouldn't expect them to be. I mean, this is something where they're going to be nurtured. Um, into that. They do bring a different perspective, but they're not going to have seen the number of shows which the yes, all white male um, coterie of a Charles McNulty and Chris Jones and Jesse Green and Ben Brantley uh, have seen. Um, that's uh, that expertise comes with with time. It's seen yeah. a ton of theater. You have to start right. somewhere to get to get there. Um yeah. And, and there are more and more of these um, artist led initiatives to try to um, I mean, it's not replacing the, the model of theatrical criticism that we've had in the past, but it, it's trying to fill that void in other ways. There's this new um startup three views that's a, a whole bunch of different writers um from from various artistic disciplines um pledging to come together to write pieces that are sometimes um sometimes reviews other times responses to um theatrical productions um there's uh, other organizations that have tried to address the theater writing uh, that are closing. The Interval was one that focused on um, women in the theater. And that one just uh, just closed um, in the last week or so. Um, But people are trying to be creative. It's what we do, you know, in an arts field, we see a problem and then we start to brainstorm. How can we, how can we fill in this hole? But I don't know that any of the things we're doing yet truly address the underlying problem. It feels so insular to me. You know what I mean? That theater companies are going to hire people who promise to be unbiased to write about. Yeah. The original, the original reason we had critics is so that people knew what to spend their money on. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was inside looking out. It was for patrons. Oh, theater, a theater ticket costs a lot of money. Is this worth it for me to, to go to it? And now it, it, these, I understand we're looking for solutions and we, and I'm hoping very much that we come up with these solutions, but this, this feels to me, you know, it's still, it's still in this, in this circle. Not, yeah. not looking out. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up, Julie, because we have been so far in this discussion focusing on the losses for our industry and for us as as artists and producers and not having um, these sort of experienced um, uh, voices commenting on our, our work. But um, 
but it's true. We we aren't focusing enough yet in this conversation about the the uh, intended audience mm-hmm. of um, theatrical criticism, at least the model that you were part of, Mike. You weren't you weren't writing those reviews to serve us. You were serving your readership. And that's really, really important. And um, so what is what is an audience member do now if they want to choose what to see? You know, Yelp is that where people are looking? You know, <laughs> not for shares, theater yet. Shares on Facebook of people right. saying, "I saw this and I loved it." And you look for people who have similar taste to yours. Yes, I mean that is where people are going, or they're they're looking at blogs. I mean, some better than others, but I mean, I I've kind of already said this a, a little bit in this conversation. Expertise and experience count. For a ton. And I'm sorry, but somebody like me that put thousands of hours and saw hundreds of plays every single year, you know, for a good chunk of my adult life into this discipline knows more. Doesn't mean I'm always right, but knows more about the state of what's going on and has a better gauge for assessing and measuring than somebody who started a blog or to go back to three views than people like Zadie Smith, whom I adore, um, or Roxanne Gay, um, who are not theater critics. I mean, they're amazing writers, um, but they don't have expertise in this area. It would be akin to me saying, gee, Jen, I think directing's kind of cool. I've watched a show and how it's directed. Why don't you just turn over one of your shows to me and let me direct? And I think in general, the decline in expertise in, uh, in terms of how it's valued in this country, which is why we have the president we have right now, hmm. quite frankly, is is really scary um, and uh, and is putting us in a position where we are only listening to our friends um, often uh, who are uninformed, who think that because the Internet is there, that they know more than they actually do. Um, and it's it's costing us as a society and theater criticism and arts criticism is just sort of the canary in the coal mine. Uh, on that issue for me. Yeah, it's it's that expertise that that I'm I'm missing in a lot of what I'm I'm reading from critics or uh, well, not from critics, from from people expressing their opinions ar- right. around the country, uh, because it's not that I always agreed with everything that you wrote. You sure did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nor nor should I, because criticism right. is it, there's two elements to it. One is your opinion. I liked this. I didn't like this. I thought this was effective. I didn't think this was effective. You know, art is a subjective thing and something that doesn't work for you might very well work for someone else. That's one element of it. The other element is being able to put what you've seen in the context of how how this art form works, what the history is, um, you know, who this playwright is, who this designer is, how, how all of that comes together. And I always respected um, what I read from you, even though sometimes I'd say, well, we, we aren't the same person. We don't have the same taste. But what happens is you you get to know a critic and you start to learn where their taste aligns with or differs from your own. And you can still use those reviews um, to help you make decisions. You know, I've sometimes read a bad review of something by a critic who I know that I don't agree with. And I go, great, I should go buy a ticket for that because the things they're saying they don't like are the things that actually I know I'm going to respond to. But because of this education, because of this breadth of experience, you actually listen to that. Yes. And that's that's what we're saying is certainly, Mike, there were things that, um, you know, I know I didn't agree with, <laughs> but it came from an informed position. So I could then argue from an informed. We both we were both equal in in the discussions. Right now, I I read a lot of reviews and think, well, that's one person's opinion, and it's not 
as important, as valuable as anybody on the street. And that's a real problem. Yeah. Well, and that's where when you went back, Julie, to the decline in newspapers toward the beginning of this conversation, that is a big a big part of it. I mean, journalists are trained at what they do Uh, and they also provide for a community um, a forum so that whether you agree or disagree with the people writing, they provide a commonality, you know, a Venn diagram point of intersection. Oh, that was terrible. But they provide a way of us coming together and talking about, you know, did you read his blah, 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 or her blah, blah, blah. And then you can have an informed discussion. And we are losing that ability to have that kind of discourse. And I don't know what the way forward is. I mean, I love the idea that Amazon bought the Washington Post in theory, um, because maybe it it insulates a paper like that from the marketplace in a world where papers still have not figured out how to sell ads. I mean, maybe we need nonprofits as newspapers (laughs) instead of thinking of them as for-profit uh, enterprises. I don't know. That, that might be one way forward. Yeah. And I, sh- I should really throw in here that that it's important to to acknowledge we're, we're talking really about what's happening across the entire country in criticism. There is still some some really good writing on theater that's happening here in our community and across our state. Yes. But the investment in that from publications has been so dramatically cut back that 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 bigger problem is, is what we're we're really trying to address. And I have to say, personally, one of the the biggest losses for me um, in, in you're not writing anymore, Mike, is that you um, had these great they were called your takeaways. You know, you'd have your your main review is what, then that's what gets printed in the paper. And that, you know, obviously the length of that got shortened and shortened and shortened over the last decade. Um, but you were able online to add what you call takeaways at the end of your review, where you would go really deep into some nuance of the production, whether it was really going in on some choices of the lighting designer or 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 going um off on uh, on a really relevant tangent about the history of that playwright's work mm-hmm. or um, focusing on one beat in an actor's performance. And you could get into really nuanced analysis of some element of the production you'd just seen that I don't see hardly any writing going into that depth um, in, in, in criticism of, of theatrical productions right now. And I miss that because sometimes I would read something and go, I can't believe he picked up on that or wow, he picked up on something I didn't even think was in there. Or um, it would really inspire me to want to check out the work of some designer or some artist who I didn't know. Um, and I, I miss that level of of detail. Yes. Uh, you know, it's a shout out to my, my former editor who I alluded to uh, earlier, Jim Higgins, who had to read all of that and edit it <laughs> um, because it did lengthen uh, a lot what I was doing. And, and God bless him for allowing me to do it because designers with reviews everywhere now being shortened. It's not just at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Um, the, the coverage of the New York Times reviews are not as long as they were just 10, 15 years ago. Um, designers are the ones getting the shaft and that breaks my heart. I mean, they have so much to do with what makes a show work. Um, and there just isn't space in 450 or 500 words to do more than give a basic plot summary, hopefully as short as possible, uh, and and call out the director and the actors who, who put it on stage, because that's what people most relate to. But, mm-hmm. to. but to lose the chance to sort of help people understand all the folks behind the scenes that made a production possible is another one of the ways in which theater criticism um, disappearing is really letting down the theater community. Mm-hmm. Sigh. So, uh, you know, what do we do? Right. You know, 
it there's a couple of different problems that need to be addressed. And I, I don't know that I or any of us have have the solutions, but, you know, what, some of the problems that, that need to be thought about. Okay, so the the newspaper model has changed mm-hmm. irrevocably. It is continuing to change. Um, so the the traditional employer of professional theater critics is either gone or on uh, disappearing on on the verge of disappearing. Um, that's one issue. How do we encourage the next generation of critics to develop if there isn't this model for? Employment, right? Um, how do we encourage more voices that are reflective? I've read quite a few very compelling and persuasive um, pieces from playwrights of color who say, "You got to have a, a, a critic of color reviewing my piece." Uh, you know, someone who's white is not picking up what I am putting down. That's valid. It's not to say that someone who's white shouldn't also be reviewing because they're. That is that is still a valid perspective, but it's it is um, equally or more valid to say that without representation um, of a lot of different perspectives in the critical realm, that that a piece is not being fairly assessed. It's a completely valid criticism. Uh, I I would understand um, a person of color, a playwright wanting to be reviewed by someone Um other than um, a middle-aged white male. Absolutely. The problem, as we are saying, is we're not bringing any sort of diversity. People aren't being trained to do this anymore because there's no work. So you can't suddenly say, now we need a whole bunch of people of color um, to review theater who don't exist. Yeah. We're not training them. There's not jobs. So what does that look like? There has to be the job before you say, let's get a whole bunch of people to learn how to do this. Is there an is there this is not a solution, but maybe it's a it's a finger in the in the dam. Um, Is there a a model in which um, I think maybe Milwaukee Rep is doing something like this where you're inviting your general patrons who like to be on social media, who like to express their opinion, inviting them a little more into the process of how you create the work so that they become more informed about what do designers do, what do directors do, um, so, so that then the feedback, the opinions that they're sharing online at least have a little bit more of a knowledge base. I've, I've mm-hmm. seen some... Um, some things online about different companies kind of inviting people to be part of this, whether it's a social media club or um, I know there used to be tweet nights at Milwaukee Chamber Theater mm-hmm. um, where people were encouraged to actually tweet during the show. But it was in a context where don't they were. Don't get me started. I, I know. I know. And I don't, I don't know whether or not. Another podcast. I don't know whether or not that was successful. But but I, I do think, you know, if if the assessments that are going to be out there for our potential audience to make decisions about whether or not to see our shows are just coming from. Um, other patrons who are seeing our productions and then expressing their opinion. And none of this is to say that they shouldn't express their opinion. Right. I relish that. I, I warmly encourage anyone who sees one of our shows to go online and share their, their experience with it, positive or negative. Honestly, we like to hear from people about how they felt about what they saw. This conversation is about lamenting the, um, the the perspective of someone who really is educated about right. how theater is made and about the history of what we are doing. Um, but is there a way to better inform the general audience about how we do our work so that their opinions have more of that background? I don't know. 
I think we're going to have to because nobody's doing it for us. And I think you're seeing a little bit of that. I mean, I do. The rep is a good example. I mean, I mean, forwards doing this theater companies in general are putting way more energy into educational initiatives, both as a community outreach uh, uh, project and 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 stated goal. But also because we need to have people educated about theater and it is mm-hmm. an opportunity to do that. And there are corollary benefits. Julie, I will never, ever forget you saying to me when you were trying to talk me into doing that Renaissance program for young women. And I'm like, but there's going to be no jobs for them. And you said, yeah, Mike, but having critics come in and talk to them is empowering people who don't feel their voice matters Hmm. to to have an opinion and to think their voice does matter. And if we can even do that much for the women and people of color whose voices have been traditionally marginalized as a society, I'll take that as a gain and as a plus. I would also love it if there were ways in which some of those folks could be replacing people like me and giving us the more diverse perspectives that we need. Because I completely agree that if you could have more women and people of color writing, it would be better. And look at what you have with those who are writing now. Sarah Holdren at Vulture the, at New York Magazine is tearing it up, you know, as hmm. Jesse Green's replacement. I mean, Hilton Owls at the New Yorker won a Pulitzer because he's so good and brings such a different perspective to what he does. So the tiny examples we have are illustrative of what we could have uh, in a world where we had more people um, who were more educated about this from different, broader perspectives than what we have right now. Mm. I kind of, I kind of want to just stop right there. <laughs> I have a feeling this is a topic we're going to want to come back to in it. Yeah. Maybe in a year there'll be some tremendous developments um, and some some new models and new initiatives that we get all excited about. I'm going to keep all my appendages crossed. <laughs> For that. That sounds good. Well, in the meanwhile, I am going to do what I'm doing for for you and you, Julie, is I will write for companies like Forward in terms of program notes and advanced pieces because people who aren't writing criticism anymore and care about it owe it to this, this discipline that they love to give their talent and their treasure and their time to writing about theater as much as they can, as often as they can to help keep the flame alive in the way that we all do. Preach, Mike. <laughs> I'm sad that you're not writing criticism. I'm awfully happy that you've joined us. Yes. Thank you. Yes. All right. Well, on that note, that's all for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jenna Poff Gray. I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced by Scott Hayden, and you can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Forward Theater, as always with an ER. And if you enjoy this podcast, Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in. And be sure to leave an educated and uh, profound (laughs) review. (laughs) We're so grateful. Which means it'll be five stars. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We, We are so grateful to have you listening. And we will be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation. 